And welcome to this edition of Night Shift. Eric Lopez alongside Andrew Glukoff. Night dominant, victorious over SMU. 41-19, a dominant second half for the Knights. Blow past the Mustangs to win the American Conference opener on this unique Wednesday night. Glad you could join us uh, wherever you're tuned in, whether it's on our YouTube channel, which you could subscribe to and like, as well as our Twitter handle as well where you could uh, follow us there as well to uh, deal and as well as on facebook of course black and is where you can of course get all of your updates for ucf uh news and sports and everything else uh drew it was an uh we wondered about this game obviously finally we get to this game first half and the second half two completely different halves and maybe the best half ucf's played all year and i think my takeaway is the the master or the teacher taught the student a bit of a lesson there in that second half? What was your thoughts there of what went right for UCF in the second half? Well, it's all it's all about adjustments, and you take what the defense is giving you, and the defense is selling run, selling run big time, and as a result, the running game actually did not have a very good day. So you know what? You change it up. You go to the pass, and despite early struggles. There were some overthrown passes. There were times when the receivers were looking the wrong way on on passes. Even the second half, they still did it. Uh, but they settled down. They found rhythm. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, football is a game of momentum. And they were able to make a few key passes. Uh, the That one by uh, Javon Baker in the to start the second half was just what opened the floodgates. I mean, we didn't realize how big until you know later but I, that that was huge uh, big confidence booster for the receivers for the quarterback the offensive line felt good and you know you need all three of those pieces clicking to have a working passing game and they did it let's look at the some of the stats here uh john rice plumley 20 of 29 316 yards passing two touchdowns most of that in the second half i thought the slant play was a play it was really simple. And again, we always talk about play calling, Drew, but a simple stuff like slants was working, and he was hitting those slants. Obviously, Baker was had a big game leading-wise, receiving-wise. Six catches, 138 yards. Ryan O'Keefe, six catches, 117 yards. Two touchdowns. But I thought Plumley hitting those slants, taking what the defense was giving him, kind of opened up the offense, gave him a rhythm, gave him some confidence, and then they were able to hit some big plays. Well, here's the thing about slants. Slants are timing plays. You, you, you're basically throwing to nobody, and your receiver has to come and get it uh, because of how quick everything goes. So you need that, that time, that chemistry, and that faith in your receiver to be able to make those plays. Obviously, early in the year, there were still issues that they, they were working out. They finally said, you know what, let's give it a go, and it worked. And it started working, confidence built up, let's do it again. Boom, do it again. Boom. And each time they did it and it worked, it just builds the confidence even more. Uh, as we know, football is a mental game, more so than a physical game. And if you get in your own head, that's where things go wrong. And they did an excellent job of being able to kind of uh, no longer have to think, just do and and go through these basic pieces. You know, a, a short slant is a very, very elementary route but it requires a lot of precision and they were able to, to just, just start doing it and not think about it. We'll take your comments and questions here in the chat room on our YouTube channel, as well as on Twitter. 
uh, as well. Let me get to some of the comments. Kyle Nash is at the game. He will hope to join us later on from the field uh, after the postgame pressers are done. Sir Epic chimes in with the first comment of the night. I don't want to lose T-Will. Don't worry, we will. The question is, is it this year or next? It's going to happen. It's the nature of the beast. He's he's building himself a great resume. But remember how many years it took Rhett Lashley to become a head coach. So, I mean, he could stick around for a bit. He could get hired by a larger program. Uh, it's it, it's only a matter of time. But well, what, that, did you see, what, more... what, what did you see from him in the second half in particular? Where basically they shut out SMU until that last drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because SMU gashed them in the first half, but UCF played good red zone defense, kept the game close. Even where you know, because it felt like SMU was a play or two away from maybe opening up a lead in that first half. But what did you see from their defense, especially in the second half? Well, they they crashed down on the receivers more. They were giving them a lot of room early on, and you know, I understand keep them in front, don't give up the big play. But uh, there is a certain point where I mean, uh, you know, Rice is just you know. Uh, Rasheed Rice is just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, you give him a couple of yards, he's going to catch it and get some yards afterwards. Uh, they started tightening up. They started playing tighter man. And uh, they were able to defend passes downfield. Once UCF started to pull away, it forced SMU into more desperation mode. They start throwing the ball downfield more. And you were able to get those downfield, you know, uh, pass defense, you know, stats padded. Uh, there's no face guarding in in FBS, so I mean you're you're good to go. And uh, luckily, uh, <laughs> in the case of Nicolai Martinez, you know his head got in the way, and that actually saved from another touchdown. It was they did an outstanding job of breaking up passes. I haven't really fully looked at the at the the box score on the on the pass breakups, but this is the best game I've seen all year on pass breakups. Uh, you know. It's about positioning uh, players that had struggled early in the year. Brandon Adams really had a strong second half. Again, same thing I mentioned about the offense confidence booster. You know, you, once you, you get the, the negative stuff out and you start doing good things, it just builds on itself. That momentum just keeps going. And in SMU's case, it was the opposite. Things start going wrong and they cascaded going wrong to the point where they, once that safety happened, it was over, it was done. And props to to you know you know Malzahn and the, and and special teams, they once again had an outstanding day and and actually made really smart use of the punters switching between Mitch McCarthy and Andrew Osteen depending on what they needed. They went with McCarthy when they wanted a leg, but they went with Osteen when they wanted precision, and it worked. It worked like a charm. Uh, you had two punts that had really good field position for UCF really bad for SMU directly led to that safety, which just destroyed any confidence that that SMU had in which they were going to come back and, and just put this game away. Uh, just absolute outstanding. I, I call it the, it's the Colton Boomer effect ever since he's taken over the, this special teams unit has, has been night and day different and it's been great. Uh, you're muted. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I agree. Uh, I was just reading some comments, but I agree with you. The special teams have been different. The different, more confidence you could sense them playing since uh, since Boomers was added in. Field position, I thought was key. Like there was that play where Rhett Lashley went for it on fourth and one, and they they did a short pass that was stuffed. I know UCF didn't take advantage of it, but I thought UCF that kind of flipped the field because SMU was then pinned back to your point because the punt 
pin them back, even though I assume you got a first, a couple of first downs. The field position there throughout the second half, I thought favored UCF and big time. I thought big time. And I thought they did a heck of a job on Rice, who was a great player. You look at his stats. What what jumps out to me? Yes, he caught twelve balls, but one hundred twenty-two yards, only a ten yards a pop. The longest one he had was eighteen. Like you said earlier, they kept their face. They kept the state in front of him, and I think that was kind of like you said. T. Will's plan is I don't want to get beat over the head, and then hey, can I dare you to beat somebody else to beat us over the? And they really couldn't. SMU couldn't do that, even running the ball. SMU ran for one hundred thirteen yards on thirty-one carries, but thirty-nine of that was on that Gardner touchdown that I know you were impressed by. Other than if you take that away, SMU couldn't run the ball against UCF. UCF did a pretty good job making SMU one-dimensional and started to put a little more pressure on Mordecai make him rush out of the pocket. And here's another thing about that is uh, SMU did not adjust right. in the second half when, when the run was taken away. Uh, they didn't commit as much to the pass uh, early enough to really salvage the game. And that's, that was the big difference. And and we've criticized, you know, UCF's coaching staff for not doing this, especially against Louisville where they adjusted and, and UCF was, was very stagnant. It was quite the opposite this time where uh, UCF on both offense and defense made very key adjustments. Uh, UCF basically daring, uh, you know, SMU to have to win in the air, uh, you know, they played more aggressive in the second half on man coverage than they did in the in the first half, and you know Mordecai got rattled. Uh, he yeah, he took a couple of hits. Uh, he was chased out of the pocket, and uh, there was times where he could have tucked the ball and ran, and then instead he just kind of you know threw it away or, or something to that to that effect. And you know then you have the mental aspect of of the key drops that SMU had, they, they missed out on, on touchdowns on some key drops. I mean, they, it caused them to, to not be able to convert on, on, you know, on a drive. It, one was a gimme touchdown. And it was just so wide open that it's just, you know, womp womp moment, you know, no, no whammies stop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow. We got sound effects on night shift. I love it. Oh, well, I mean, send me a text message. That's the sound you'll hear. Uh, again football is a mental game and once these things that go wrong start getting into your head it's over and it just cascaded and then you you get these these really bad drops i mean you know we we you we watched the game we saw you know kobe hudson had one that he was outstretched hit him in the hands probably should have caught it uh but i wouldn't call that a bad drop you know we saw later and by smu that was a bad drop. I mean, that was an egregious drop. You know, wind sprints, suicide quality uh, drop. You know, go run the bleachers. Uh, I mean, that was as bad as it can get. Uh, and, and that all comes back to the mental aspect. You know, even even Rice had a bad drop where he started to run before he secured the ball. And, and you can't do and that. And that was big. That was big because SMU was up a touchdown. He looked like we're having a big game. I, you know, you're right. There's some drops there that uh... – but again, when I think when a secondary is physical with your receivers, don't you see more receivers tend to drop the ball because A, they're trying to think ahead, and plus they're getting banged around. I thought UCF one of their the secondaries trying to be physical with them. Yeah, they got called for some PIs, but I'm okay with that, especially in the college game where it's only a 15 yard penalty. I wish the NFL would kind of adopt that. Uh, I thought they were physical, and I thought it, it kind of wore down SMU's receivers a little bit as the game went on. Oh, absolutely, and and you know the the last one that was in the end zone that that 
Lashley kind of lost his mind over. Uh, <laughs> that was that was them swallowing the whistle for a bad call earlier in the same right. drive. Right. Uh, that shouldn't have been a PI. In fact, it should have been an offensive pass interference call. Um, so right. I, I could see a little bit of a makeup call there. But I mean, you you with UCF being in their swan song as it is a member of the American. I mean, I, we remember 2012 uh, conference USA gave UCF no favors whatsoever. So, you know, I'm not expecting UCF. To yeah, get wait till we go on the road. I still think that that's coming. Wait till we go. Yeah. I, I don't expect UCF to get any favors, but, but you know what, you know, either you, you play hard, you play aggressive or but I, didn't, I didn't think the officiating was that bad of a difference. Yeah, UCF got some calls, but you know what? I mean, like it is what it is. I didn't think it was anything. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, you, it wasn't seismic. It definitely yeah, wasn't seismic. I actually thought the refs did a good job letting them play, for the most part. There wasn't a ton of. Uh, there weren't a ton of flags until the third quarter when Rini and Golia kind of jinxed it. Well, I mean, of course, um, <laughs> our buddy Rini. No, oh, well, there's been another refs. I haven't called anything. Next thing you know, flags come in. It's like, God, well, it took it to the third quarter for SMU to be called for their first penalty. Right, uh, right. But, you know, the that's neither guy. here nor there. Yeah. Uh, there was a little bit of, of whistle swallowing, and and yeah, you know, let the guys play. And and UCF played very tough on the man to man, especially when when Mordecai started airing the ball out, and. Not only that, but they kept their focus. Uh, there were times where, you know, there was a catch made and they were able to jar the ball loose and, and, and get the incomplete pass. I mean, it wasn't even a, a breakup where the ball never got to the receiver. Receivers had the ball. It was, it, they had possession for the in nine out of 10, you know, milliseconds needed and, and you know, or, or, you know, you know, whatever. And, it gets knocked out of out of their hands. I mean, you know, it's it's such a you know a small little thing, but it makes the biggest difference in the world. You know, you instead of having a touchdown or you know in the red zone, they're now seeing third and fourth down, you know, 30, 40 yards away. Uh let's get some other comments. Mike Doty, a good friend of the show. RJ Harvey needs to be RB1. Oh, yeah. I know you and Kyle, you and Kyle hate this topic. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm a huge RJ Harvey fan. Go look up the 2021 spring game write-up of, of, on this website, and you will. RJ Harvey is one of the first guys I talk about. Uh, I absolutely adore this guy as a running back. Uh, he is built like a wrecking ball. Uh, he's. You want him to get more carries? Wrong. And he, he's absolutely, you know, he's the future. He is definitely the future. And there's a reason why you're seeing more and more of him, because this guy is a force of nature, uh, you know. But the thing is, um, what he does versus what Isaiah Bowser does, and, and I don't think people fully appreciate, even though Bowser's numbers throughout the, this year have not been what they were last year, I, I think people um, miss the fact that, one, he's an excellent blocker. And two, he also works as a great decoy. When he's on the field, teams commit more against the run. So that's one reason why his numbers aren't as great. They, they key on him. And, you know, okay, and, you know, let it open up the pass. But, of course, you still have to run the ball. And when the run, if the line isn't able to, to open up the hole, which they, they struggled a little bit in the first half especially, uh, you're seeing um, Bowser run more off tackle. You know, it happened early in the third quarter when when thing when they started that first drive. He's running off tackle because there's nothing open in the middle of the field. Uh, so that's that's where the adjustments come from. Of hey, you know we're seeing this. Why don't we change it up a little bit? 
you know, they're, they're, they're crashing the middle of the line. We're not getting the separation we need that he can go, you know, in between the, the guard and the center or the guard and the tackle, take it off tackle. You know, it's not really his, what he does, but he made it work. And, and you know, we saw a little bit of, his, uh, of agility out of him where he spun, was able to get a first down and he runs the wildcat perfectly. I mean, he, he understands that offense real well, scored three touchdowns as a result. And they were all short yardage, but still, Points for points. Uh, but I want to see Harvey getting the ball more because he's not as fast as Richardson and he's not as powerful as as Bowser. But, boy, is he a good mix of the two. How many touches you want him to get? Tonight uh, for the game, he had seven carries, 69 yards. Bowser, 15 carries, 62 yards, three touchdowns. Plumley 11 carries, 27 yards. Johnny Richardson, three carries, 12 yards. Do you like that ratio? How would you do the ratio? I think the ratio was pretty good um, because the passing game was working. You didn't see Plumlee tuck the ball and run as much. I mean, he, he ran around the pocket more, but he was still also looking downfield. We saw him buy some time, make some throws. Uh, you know, I, I, I like seeing Bowser with a, a lesser workload uh, as, as a player who ha- has had a strong uh, injury history. You don't want to overwork him. I, I, I remember seeing on Twitter one person's like, "Oh, he needs 25 carries." No, he does not need 25 carries. And I flat out said, "What he needs to do is average four yards per carry." He averaged 4.1. Uh, so mission accomplished. My other thing is my benchmark of of Plumlee as a quarterback, and and yeah, it's not necessarily him. It's also you know, the receivers play roles, but the completion percentage needs to be at least 60%. He eclipsed that quite a bit, 69%. Right. Again, right. not all that was his fault. There, you know, the, you know, there's still some chemistry issues with his receivers. It's very obvious when they're looking at the wrong shoulder uh, yeah. or they're having to spin around, that's on the receiver. They're looking but at the I, wrong place because I watched right. those, those routes. Uh, I thought they, he made better reads, though, in the second half. And I think Gus, again, calling a simpler game – Again, a slant. Some po- you know, you're not complicating too many things. I think he's limited on what he can throw. There's some because there was we, you and I were talking during the game. There were some throws in the first half he was trying to make that we were like that. that that's a low percentage. Well, those were those were hard throws to make. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're trying to throw from a a wide receiver that's directly running away from you, and you have a very small window. And as Plum as as Rini said, uh, Plumley does not have great touch he really doesn't i mean that two-play conversion man if he put any more mustard on that thing (laughs) i mean that that was that's that outfielder in him that's the outfielder in him trying to throw the home play right (laughs) that that was that was some goulden's horseradish right there that that rifled in and points to to kobe hudson for holding on to that thing because it was behind him too and he still managed to make the catch um uh, he has to work on his touch uh and because you know when you're trying to throw a pass like that that's all touch uh, you know, you got to get the air underneath it so that it, it falls into his hands. Uh, he pushed it. It went way past. That was all on him. Uh, there, I mean, but again, that's a very low percentage throw. Adam D chimes in. SMU gifted us several key drops in the first half or this game would have been entirely different. You have to address Gus and his trick plays. They could have cost us the game too. Uh, everybody flip. What did what, you think of the, like, I know the one that jumps out is the one to me in the third quarter after they got the turnover on downs. I don't know. What, here's my only issue here, Drew. 
Mm. If Gus goes vanilla, people are like, oh, where he's too conservative. And then when he tries to do some trickery, oh, he's going too crazy. Like, what do we want? I don't know what we want. Well, do we no not? One ex no one right? expected this to be a expected to be a five yard loss. I mean, the last time right. it was used, it worked. Uh, right. You know, or, or, um, or I think they've run it like two or three times. One time it worked. One time it was an incomplete pass. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't a five-yard loss. No one, no one expects that. So I mean, occasionally you got to, you got to do it. Uh, I remember, and and you know, we've talked about the emotional aspect. You know, I mentioned it during the FAU game where the game first started. There was a lot of emotions in play because these players knew each other. Well, this is now about the coaches. There was definitely emotions in play on both sides. You know, uh, Melzon may be a professional, done this a long time, but it's it's got to be in his head a little bit of that's my boy out there on the other side, you know, I want to show him, show him a little bit. And, and I think that played a little bit of a role, not too much. Uh, once the uh, trick plays didn't work, I think he uh, kind of steered, you know, pulled back a little bit. I mean, you had some, you know, you had the jet sweep and stuff, but that those, I wouldn't call those trickeries, um, you know, any trickeration at all. That's, that's more of just a way to get the ball in Ryan O'Keefe's hands. And we saw what happened with that huge 50 plus yard touchdown, it drives me nuts. It's classified as a pass, but that was essentially, it's all Ryan on that one. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I, if coaches are tend to be aggressive with a trick play, I'm not going to be hard on it. It didn't work, but again, we're the, you know, we're, we can't be hypocritical because we're the same group that would criticize him. Oh, like I remember the Louisville games. Remember everybody's like, why didn't he go for it on fourth down when he, you know, he took the the punt instead in Louisville? Like, I, I just feel like we got to be consistent. Do you want him to be aggressive? Do you not want him to be aggressive? I didn't, you know, if that play works, he's trying to go for the jugular. It could, you know, could put, you know, it, it's. I, I didn't have as big of a problem with it. I think we're just reacting to the result, right? Isn't that a big oh, part totally. of it? It's, yeah. it's George O'Leary once said when it comes to these things, either you're the goat, or you're the goat, <laughs> and he meant greatest of all time. Or, right. uh, you know, either, you know, either it works or it doesn't. And you're going to be judged based on the result. And, and I think, I think we get caught up too much in that. I, I, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of recency bias. You know, we've seen what the team can do when, when things are clicking. Uh, every game is a little bit different. We know there's consistency issues, uh, but I, but that's part of being a fan is, is, having a vested interest in, in a program, being overreactive and, and basically living and dying with, by how, how a team does. I mean, I find it kind of entertaining personally uh, uh, to, to watch it, but you know, ever everyone, everyone's there for, for a different reason, you know, to involve their investment in the game. And, and that's how it is. It's, it's you're going to overreact. Uh, you know, the, the sky is falling, you know, UCF lost the game to Louisville. This season's over. Throw in the towel. Change the quarterback. Oh, 49 yards. This season's over. Change the quarterback. He's terrible. Blah, 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 blah. Every game is different. We don't see what goes on in practice. Um, the game plans change. We, we also have to remember you take what the defense gives you. If you're able to, to excel in one area, you stay on that. You know, Georgia Tech, they didn't have to throw the ball after a while because it didn't matter. They just kept running it and it worked. This time, the running game wasn't working. They threw the ball a lot more. It worked. Uh, so I, I aside the fact it's an odd number game, which means, you know, Plummy was going to throw for 300 yards. Uh, I, I I think people just get a little overreactive when, you know, the team changes their tactics based on what's given to them. Right. 
Uh, Jeff Wiseman chimes in. T. Will could leave, but his stock will be will be much higher if he brings this defense to the Big Twelve and has success. You buy that? Uh, I don't think it matters. Uh, okay. I I think his stock is already moving up, and it wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me if he's hired away before you know UCF gets to the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, it, it would suck because he's really good at what he does, and and we've grown to to love him here. But I mean, that's just part of the progression. I mean, UCF, even though they're moving to the Big Twelve, it's going to be a while before they start making money that they can use on coaches uh, to to try to retain talent. I mean. As you know, uh, there's a lot of internal issues that have to be handled first yeah. with some money coming in. So I you know, pump the brakes on being able to, you know, on trying to, to keep them against, you know, SEC school or Big Ten school that's going to, you know, flash some green. He's a future head coach. We all know it. It's just, he's just building his resume and he's doing an excellent job this year. This is the this is the best defense I've seen in years at UCF. Um since 2014, where that team defense was one of the tops in the country. You're right. It has a chance to be top three, top five, uh, if it keeps doing this way. Uh, Mike Doty makes a great point, by the way, that you take away that Gardner run, SMU averages two and a half yards of carry. Oh, That's fantastic UCF's, job. Fantastic. UCF's defense did a fantastic job. Struggled in the first half, was kind of trying to figure themselves out a little bit. Bend, but didn't break despite the fact that they gave up almost 300, almost 300 yards of offense in the first half, they only gave up 13 points. Uh, this is the best red zone defense in the country for a reason. You know, they, they gave up, you know, a ton, you know, 10 points in the red zone early on. I mean, I, I even though it works against them in the stats, I don't count this garbage time touchdown at the very end. It's, it's it was against the second unit until the game was over. Um, but let's look at the focus on the first unit stuff. I mean, they were, when that field gets short, they really tighten up. And I think it goes back to the, the whole crashing on the coverage. You know, when they give them room, look at look at Rice, 70 you know, yards after catch. Uh, most of his most of his was, was was running the ball after he got it. He made great spin moves. Uh, UCF missed trying to deflect passes. He was able to, to move the ball after that. Uh, we can't do that in the red zone. You know, there's no there's no room for that. So you're able to play a lot more aggressively when you have a short field, and UCF just really excels at that. Uh, people commenting, multiple people about they felt this was the best they've seen Bowser looked all year. You buy what, what's your thoughts on how Bowser looked there? You think they said he looked like old Bowser? Look, he had his jump. Are you buying that that he looked at his best tonight versus other games? Uh, well, I, I mean, he. Is it the best all year? Yeah. Is it better than any game last year? No. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, he's, but that's part of, part of it is because defenses are keen on him. It's like a, you know, a rookie pitcher in baseball, you know, first, you know, first few times he's out there, he's really killing it because no one has a game plan against him. Then they develop a plan against him and he, you know, has to adjust. Uh, teams are adjusting against when Bowser's on the field, they're crashing the line, they're putting more in the box and they're, they're making him have to go out, Outside the uh, outside, you know, the the normal his normal range, which is you know between the guards, uh, you know, and between the tackles, uh, you know, get him a little bit off tackle running. He started that's where he got his chunk yardage when he started running off tackle plays. And you know, I love the fact that one he was able to do it, and two, the coaching staff recognized it and made him do it uh, because that makes a defense honest and have to adjust for that. Now they they won't be able to crash inside quite as much because they have to respect the outside run when he's when he has you know when he's on the field. 
and that just opens more opportunities. Uh, you know, it's like run to set up the pass. Well, you use the run, bring everyone in, you pass, you make them more honest, and, and the cycle continues. Same thing with this running inside versus outside. Uh, I, I think it worked out really well. I think they'll continue. They'll actually start to continue it where, where they'll use a little more off-tackle running uh, intermittently to just make the defense honest. And with the fact that, that Plumlee, for the, yet again, can show that he can rack up yardage passing, uh, defenses are going to have to start respecting it a little bit because it's going to come to a point where they're they're going to be like, yeah, we dare you to win in the passing, and he's going to keep doing it, and you know you don't <laughs> you're going to have to play a more balanced defense or else he's going to keep burning you. All right, other comments. Well, 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 forty one chimes in. I mean, this is as respectful as po- respectfully as possible. But Baker's family, uh, let's see. Uh... Let's see. Ah, oh, they're talking about some of the atmosphere there. Yeah, I, I saw that comment. I don't, I don't even want to give that credence. I'll be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I would worry. Uh, I did hear the boo birds in the first half. I mean, well, what do you I think of the crowd fans, overall? But... What what you let's talk about the crowd in general because obviously it was a Wednesday night game, so obviously no surprise you saw a bit of a decline in the attendance. I saw some photos there. Didn't you know? Look, uh, you know, just wasn't. Pre- I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but the way I look at it, the people that were there obviously are your diehards. They're active there. What, what's your thoughts on the crowd there? Obviously, UCF probably took a hit here. I'm thinking maybe a 40% drop in attendance, Bay. This game being on a Wednesday versus, you know, maybe being this upcoming Saturday instead. Well, I, I think there was between twenty and 25,000 fans. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's a very fair assessment. But, yeah, you have to understand the, the circumstances. You know, I don't – I'm not digging – against the fans who showed up or the fans who didn't you know i live over two hours away i couldn't be there i was supposed to be in the press box and and we we sent bryson turner up there uh in my in my place you know there's people like me who live away a ways away who who work in their schedule to be able to come and 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 go to these games in person you know this was a last minute change you know because of a hurricane uh, they're lucky that things worked out the way they were. Uh, you know, they wanted it on Sunday originally. It became very obvious Sunday was not a viable option, and I'm glad that the school changed changed things. Uh, there was things much more important than football going on, especially when you have flooding going on just outside of campus to the point where you have people on on air mattresses getting evacuated. Uh, I, I think that when Terry Mohajer went on Twitter to to talk about it, uh, he was very upfront. I think that was a very good move on his part. Uh, I, I appreciated, you know, the honesty there and, and that there's a lot of moving parts in this. You know, you have to think of what's in the best terms of UCF. You have to think of what's best terms for the conference and SMU and the television partners, because this is a conference game. You get rid of it. You have an inventory problem because the conference is contractually obligated. Well, I, to I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't think that game was ever going to get be gotten rid of. It was just a matter of – I don't think of, so I, either. But that's, was, that's still it, part it, of the package, though. You, right, you right, right. Have to think about that. You know, right, the, right, right. I agree. You, you, can't, you can't just, you know, not like, you know, an out-of-conference game where you're like, you know, you know what, let's just not do this. We'll just nix it, you know, no, no harm, no foul. You know, we'll, we'll try and make it up down the road. You can't do that with a conference game. Uh, it's a lot more difficult, and so UCF was able to work with with ESPN and SMU to to find a day that worked for everybody, and with both teams having short, you know, uh, having you know, weekday games next week, you don't want to give them a short week if you don't have to, and they didn't have to. 
Uh, and this worked perfectly for ESPN. With this Wednesday game, there's only, you know, counting this, there's only one more week throughout the entire season that ESPN doesn't have a Tuesday or Wednesday night college football game. So it, it, it helped them. UCF actually got bumped up. On the, on the television pecking order, Saturday would have been on ESPNU where, you know, 10 people would have watched the game, you know, all, <laughs> all UCF fans. Uh, the truth is a lot more watched on ESPN too. I mean, ESPNU, just, just their, their viewership numbers are just absolutely atrocious. I mean, you study this more than anyone, and you're the one who told, who's talking about how bad ESPNU numbers are. So I, in some ways it's almost a blessing disguise from an exposure standpoint. I – all the baseball was done by by evening. Yeah, it was the only sporting event going on tonight, right? It's the only sporting event going yeah, on tonight. Is. It'll likely be a top two cable show when the numbers come out on Thursday. It's going to be this and the AEW Dynamite Wrestling Show. Those are probably going to be your top two television shows. And you're right. They probably picked up, I'll make a guess estimate, like the Georgia Tech game, for example, drew about 107,000 viewers on ESPNU. That was probably, a terrible game, though. Awful game. I think this one, this game will probably draw somewhere around 750,000 to maybe close to a million, depending on, you know, give and take. I, I would say that's just, so you're, you're picking up a good amount of, num- of audience. Yeah, I actually think the fact that the game became a lot hurts the numbers. Uh, you know, people like close games and will tune into close games and, and you see it just stepped on their throat and closed their windpipe in the second half. I mean, there were, there was, SME was just gasping for air and not getting any. Uh, but I, and I think that may have actually hurt the potential TV viewer numbers. But you know what? That's okay. I'll take that. Yeah, it's a good problem. Yeah, I don't. You know, at the end of the day, it's a good problem. Probably, yeah, yeah. What? How do you feel about this team now? Going in, they're going to play Temple next Thursday. We got another. Are you coming to that game? Are you doing? Are you coming with me? Are you going to be with me next? I will. Too? I will be at that game. I'm okay. actually flying back from Dallas, Texas, the day before, um, with the anticipation of I'm going to that game. Uh, that's the space game. A Jersey nut like me is not missing the space game. Okay, so we got <laughs> Temple at home. Then they go to East Carolina. Uh, you know, they still got to go to Memphis. How do you feel about this team five games in? Encouraged? Discouraged? Uh, where do you feel now after? I mean, I my thing is, can we just see this team play a four a four quarter game? That's I think that's probably like the second half was fantastic. Can this team now put it together? For multiple weeks is my only question, but where, where do you stand right now with this team? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not satisfied. Uh, okay. I'm still not happy with the offensive line play, uh, but you know, I played offensive line. I'm overly critical there. Uh, and, but I think the, in this case, we should be overly critical on the offensive line. Uh, it was part of what made the first half such a struggle and what they had to adjust, you know, to, uh, but again, you take what the defense gives you, and and you know this is a talented team, but we know there's definite areas of of deficiency. Uh, it's good that the the wide receivers are are no longer beat up. You know, Kobe Hudson's finally getting into a groove. He had a very slow start. He had you know he wasn't able to get on the field. Uh, that didn't help. Some some bad drops. But now he's starting to kind of get into a groove. Uh, you know, you need that confidence. Obviously, the other two. Big receivers, you know, do the job already, and they do it very well. Uh, but the offensive line, I am not satisfied with, and, and I'm not, you know, I this this game didn't encourage me on that. You know, I I expect more, I demand more, and uh, until they 
they put together a full game against uh, a you know anyone uh, I, that that's worth anything. I, I'm not going to be satisfied, and I, don't, I, I think as fans, yeah, we love just wins and losses, but you know, I, I'm biased. Okay, I, I'm I'm critical on the line. <laughs> So that, that's the question Jim John's asking. Will UCF second half offensive explosion carry over for the rest of the season? I think it's to be determined. Uh, you know, right? Like I'm not, I'm not gonna get sucked in because I feel like people got sucked in with the FAU game and then we saw the struggles against Georgia Tech. I just need to see this team for a few weeks to do it consistently, and that you know that's all. I'm not. I don't think that's asking a lot. Yeah, this team is in is consistently inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, they they are uh, all over the map. Uh, they they haven't put two you know, games together yet. Yeah, they, they've been hot. They've been cold. They've been hot. They've been cold. Uh, yeah. So if you follow the track next week is supposed to be an off week, be, you know, at least it's against uh temple. Uh, but I, I mean, they, they got to do more, even if they do well against temple temple is, you know, the dredges of the FBS. So, I mean, I'm not looking at it as, you know, as you know, Oh, it's a blow win. No, that's what's supposed to happen. It's more like, you know, if it's like Georgia tech where they struggle against a team, they should be running off the field that I have a problem with. And then you, know, you need to be concerned. Yeah, I, I would agree with that uh, there, but you know, look, it's all good right now. I mean, you had to win this game. You win this game big. You look at the conference right now, you know, you're going to have the tiebreaker over SMU, which is important. That could be important down the road. I mean, to me, it looks like Cincinnati, UCF, and I guess Tulane. We have to throw in there. They did beat Houston. Oh man, they, Tulane! They're they're the little engine that could. Uh, they're I mean, they're surprising. UCF everyone. goes to Tulane. UCF goes to Tulane, and the networks announced this week that the Tulane game against at Cincinnati is going to be the Black Friday game uh, mm-hmm. this year. So they obviously feel that that could be a relevant game as well. Is that the well, three teams? Look are we looking up at against? Right. Um, UCF USF is not a relevant game. I mean, USF is is terrible. They may not win another game the rest of the year. They're they're, they're downright awful. I mean, that there's no nice way to say that. They're 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 terrible. <laughs> I mean, I remember last year the game was was just absolutely atrocious to watch. I mean, it was just like just tear my my eyes. This is awful. I mean, it was just bad football on both sides, and and UCF squeaked by. But I was. ESPN was stuck having to broadcast that on Black Friday. That's why they made changes. It's like, you know, we don't want to be caught, you know, in this situation again. So they were able to to flex it. And they rightfully flexed it over to to Saturday where it can dissolve into an ESPN Plus game, which wouldn't surprise me if they do that. (laughs) Well, the way way South Florida, they've been playing there's no There's no market appeal right now. No one wants to watch that train wreck of a program. Uh, you know, the only benefit is the fact that it's a rivalry game, but even that's not. No, that game, look, that game, again, we've argued on the show and on articles that game, that, that matchup's not a rivalry. That's been a bust. It's been a bust. Like they had that monster game in 2017, the classic that drew over 4 million ever since then it's gone downhill. Well, it, was, like, it, it never, you know, I mean, before that and after that, I mean, that, that was the pinnacle right, and right, it, right, it took right. both teams having their best, you know, seasons ever at that point to, to make it happen. And while UC, you know, UCF had a 2018 team that, in, in my opinion, was actually a better team overall before uh, Mackenzie Milton's injury, uh, you know, South Florida opened up with seven wins and and then completely wet the bed and, and tanked the rest of the year. I mean, it was, you know, 
They, they went to number two and took a number two. Same concept. Jason Beatty, our buddy, is at the post game. He uh, tweeted this out. Both quarterback John Rice Plumley and wide receiver Ryan O'Keefe shared a story post game that UCF coach Gus Malzahn had written on a whiteboard that the second half would be theirs against SMU. Apparently, it was one of the three team goals on the whiteboard. Uh, whiteboard goal achieved. How about that? Hey, you know, it's all, it's all about how you reset yourself. You know, they were overthinking. Uh, making mistakes, and the key is when you start thinking is when you make a mistake because your head gets in the way. Um, you know, these guys practice enough. There's muscle memory. They know what to do. They don't have to think about it. They just do it, and and you saw that instinct kick into overdrive in that third quarter. You know, all things, you know, realistically, there was nothing more they could have done in that third quarter. They did everything right offensively. I mean, they could not have done a better job. You know, they had, they only scored two touchdowns. They only had two drives because of the time of possession, but I mean, they did everything right. I mean, that, that kind of confidence builder gets, you know, makes you stop thinking and just do ride the wave. And, and it, it becomes contagious. Energy is contagious. You know, the fans feed off it, the team feeds off it and, and, and it just goes and goes. So, you know, Again, like I said multiple times, it's a mental game. And once you get the mental aspect in check, the talent really shows. Garrett Weiss, strength of spear, chimed in. Horrid start as usual with the offense. We look better in the second half. Defense is special this year. I just don't trust the offense. I don't blame anyone for not trusting the offense. They haven't put two games back-to-back together. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you know, the stats don't lie. We know what they're capable of. Uh, it's a combination of game planning and execution. You know, the coaches can only game plan to a certain extent. It then becomes execution. And it's not just one person. I, you know, don't, you can't always blame John Rice Plumley for how the offense goes. Quarterback is the scapegoat because he's the figurehead that, that hand, you know, does most of the work in the offense. Uh, but let's remember, he's not the player that holds, who has the ball the most. It's the center. He has it on every single play, but that's neither here nor there. It's the offense as a whole. Uh, you know, it's about the chemistry. It's about synergy and it's about, you know, adjusting. And you know what, if your first half's flat and your second half's great because you adjust, you still win games, uh, you know, and that's okay. You know, UCF doesn't need the style points. They're not trying to win over the, the CFP committee at this juncture. They're not even actively meeting. Uh, at this point, win the games, let things fall into place. Your goal is control what you can control, which is always win the conference. Eric Edwards chimes in. Great team win. Even the backup punt, even the backup, even backing up the punters. A game ball for everyone except the refs. <laughs> Ghost calls, hashtag sheesh. I think the coach even learned how much talent he has in different positions. And let's hope Bullard is good to go soon. Uh, yeah, Bullard, we didn't see Bullard tonight. Yeah, I, I didn't see him at all. Um, I didn't hear why he was out, uh, just that he was. And, uh, you know, you saw it on the, uh, you know, the this, a little bit of movement in the depth charts as well. Um, but, uh, you know, this team, this team's in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, I don't think Quadric uh, Bullard is actually the most important player in the defense. I actually think it's Justin Hodges uh, is the most important player in the defense. Ooh, Hodges, okay. Uh, because he plays that tweener. And when you're playing against a team like tonight, like SMU, that originally committed to the run and then bat, had to go straight to the pass, he's the guy that has to switch between 
the front seven and the back and the and the defensive backfield. He's the fifth defensive back at that point where they're you know they're running the traditional defense until they start subbing out and, and committing more to the pass. So he's the flex guy. And that's hard because you're the size of a, a defensive back. You have the, the mentality of a defense back, but you have to have the tackle technique of a linebacker and be able to, to, to cover the field like that. It's, it's not easy. And, and I, I tip my hat to him and Nikolai Martinez for being able to, to handle that role and handle it well. That's, that's not an easy role to, hand, to do. All right, let's bring in uh, Mr. Kyle Nash I, as we attempt to move him in here. Let's see here. It's got... They just finished up post game. We'll see if we can get them on here. Kyle we had, we had Bryson for just a moment. Yeah, we're trying to get both. Uh, we got some technical issues here. I hope Bryson's not standing on the field this time. No, he's definitely not. <laughs> uh, not sure where we're getting them right now. Yeah, we got some tech issues there. We'll see if we can get that sorted out here in the next minute or two. Uh, maybe Kyle just doesn't want to come on because, you know, he's been pumping up SMU all this year and Rhett Lashley and – Maybe he's going to dog him. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what he does. We'll see what he does. <laughs> Maybe that he's too shy. He's too shy. That and a lot of people in the comments yeah, saying I, how you're right. Kyle Nash and shy just don't go together. <laughs> I've no. known him too long for that. <laughs> this is true. So hopefully we can get him on here in a couple of minutes because we do want to wrap this up. Early. It is a weeknight. We all got to work, people. Yeah, I got to work another couple days before I head over to Texas. There we go. We got Kyle. You hear us, Kyle. The power of the buffer. Yeah, no, I got you. And listen, I am not above the law, man. I've got no problem um, facing whatever criticism you have, so long as it's not from Drew, because I know it is how he's hiding from the fact that he picked against UCF in this game. That's adorable. But let's keep going, shall we? I never said anything about not. (laughs) I, I never hit about behind anything. Sorry, what? What? Oh, okay, that's that's cute. Let's go. Let's do this. All right, I let, did. I did. Uh, <laughs> let, let's kind of uh, Kyle. Give me your thoughts. You were there in, in person to watch this uh, UCF dominating in the second half. What jumps? What what stood out to you? You know, I, I have to say, uh, first of all, you know what jumps out to me as great as the defense is, and we'll talk about that plenty. Uh, offensively, this is easily the most complete game we've seen. Right. Over and say what you will. Um, if you had told me going into this game that John Rice Plum would be not only throw the ball more than 20 times, but he would be better than 67% doing it, well, uh, I would have been very surprised to hear anybody say that. And here we are. And 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 listen, it, it, as much as we've talked about it not being just about JRP handling business, the other aspects too, receivers catching the football, protection being what it needs to be. You know, and I had actually asked uh, uh, Isaiah Bowser about protection because he's a big part of the scheme. We didn't see any of the big boys up front tonight. Might have been tired from playing a solid game. You know, I, I know that protection had its moments where there was a breakdown, but I don't see how you don't make this the best game they've had protection-wise when you consider not only the opponent, but what they actually did and, and how much the offense was able to be versatile. And we've said on this show and in the uh, Black and Gold Bannerette podcast, that the key to that versatility to seeing more pass plays, seeing more big plays, seeing more R.J. Harvey on the field handling big plays starts there. And Bowser had nothing but great things to say about the guys up front. So, too, did John Rice Plumlee. 
That's pretty good there. By the way, people are like ass saying that we can't see. We can see you there. I, I can't believe people want remember, to he, remember he's in the stadium and we all know that's where signal goes to die. Ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> I'm just impressed. People want to see Kyle. That's just the headliner there. People you know, well, that makes hair- one of us. <laughs> I got a haircut. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't need this, a haircut. <laughs> See, uh, this this is Drew talking all this trash. People don't even know who he is half the time, right, Eric? Well, sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like I'm Batman. I have multiple identities. What? Uh, <laughs> let, let me ask you about the defense. We, uh, Kyle, we obviously have been talking a lot about the defense. The great performance against this SMU offense. We said this could be at the best offense UCF sees all year, man, and they did a heck of a job shutting down SMU, especially in that second half. And listen, give credit to that defense. I don't know exactly what T. Will said to them, but what I can say is that both he and Gus Malzahn said to us in the media that this was going to represent potentially the biggest challenge. So it wasn't just me that said it, fellas, for the record. This could represent possibly the biggest challenge that this defense could face all year. And guys, I don't know if you noticed, but how many times these defensive backs and others, you were mentioning the night position there, Drew, were challenged in the end zone and how many passes defended and an interception in those end zone challenges huge i kind of felt like and and i think you alluded to to our in our chat somewhere uh there eric where this is about experience coaching versus inexperience coaching yes. i think there was some panic here from lashley yes. i feel like early on they were going to, trying to get that knockout punch to make sure that ucf was down big and when UCF was still in the game and they had not delivered that pull away that Drew and I had both said would be a big problem if it happens, I feel like Lashley kind of panicked. You did not, I don't see a scenario where, where SMU going for it five times on fourth down made sense to me. And the defense held up, keeping them, you know, three turns over, turnovers on downs. Huge element all the way there. Listen, to say the defense stepped up on all levels is an understatement. Drew, you cited the night position doing well. Even though it wasn't a mobile quarterback, there were still a lot of different coverages and challenges. The DBs being challenged on the back end in any game, gentlemen, where the first level of the defense up front can deliver you a safety to break the back of the opposing unit is a good night. Yeah, and and Kyle, I, I actually I also commented on how good the special teams um, particularly the punting that's directly sure. set up that safety, um, actually using, you know, mixing between Mitch McCarthy and Andrew Osteen, depending on what you needed, really paid off instead of just committing to one guy. Uh, I think that that really, really, it really paid off. And as you said, it broke the back of SMU. After that safety happened, there, they were, there was no chance of them coming back. Yeah, Drew, two, two, twice they were pinned inside the five, correct? Both by by Osteen, who took over on on those particular punts where they needed precision, and that's what he's right. really good at. What did Gus Malzahn have to say that stood out to you in the post game? You know, uh, for me, um, I had you know we uh, I, the first question I had asked him was about was about the the little things getting fixed. Right, he had said to us Monday, the last time um, that I got to talk to him was, you know, the, the most frustrating thing for this offense are the points left on the field. Say what you want about everything else, you know, 14 points in the Louisville game is a win. You know, he feels like that FAU should have been a bigger win than it was because they left 14 points out there. Points were left out there galore in his eyes for Georgia Tech. 
I don't think there's any surprises that for any offensive individual, having those opportunities either pulled off the board or completely removed from, from um, any sort of, what is the word, opportunity is probably, you know, no, I shouldn't say probably, it is the most frustrating to, thing to see for those opportunities to just not be there, to be completely removed. And and this was one of UCF's cleanest games from that standpoint. You know, they didn't oh, yeah. overplay on big plays. They didn't try to be the hero. Uh, hero ball doesn't work, and and you didn't see it. No, not at all. And, and matter of fact, we're back to that multiple levels of production, right? Where you have the running backs handling business. The offensive line is there. Uh, receivers are catching the ball and getting yak. And it's funny. You let's talk about the receivers for a minute. Javon Baker. And Ryan O'Keefe both taking it as a personal insult that SMU came out and manned them up. And, and, and they both had very entertaining things to say in particular. But to quote Ryan O'Keefe more directly, I had asked him, I said, I said, Javon had mentioned that you guys take it as an insult when you get covered man to man. And he's like, oh, yeah, they, they put that little guy on me. I knew I was fitting the skull. So it, it, was, it was a fun time for these guys uh, when, when they got to take advantage. And, and though they wouldn't see it, there was an element of relief that it's coming together. And, and listen, the final point I want to make is I had actually asked Gus what it says about this team to not only come up with a big win and improve as quickly as they did, doing so with the backdrop of a literal natural disaster in the reality, huge, man. It, it's one of those where you, you, hear, you heard the tone of his voice literally change when he answered the question. Uh, absolutely, you know, you know, going into this, it was hard to say how a team will respond, you know, in this situation. You don't know. Uh, it could it could galvanize you know, the team. It could break the team. And, and to see them, you know, come together, step up, and, and really, really tighten up, you know, they they won this for not only, you know, not only for the school, but for the whole community at large who, who you know, they needed a winner uh, in a situation where many of them are losing. So I, I think maybe they felt a little bit of the weight of the community around them. But remember, UCF is pound for pound one of the best home field advantages out there. And even though it wasn't a full house, they know how to deliver energy. And I've seen them yeah. deliver energy with half the fans that they had tonight. Uh, so I, I'm sure that that helped feed into it. Certainly. Well, it, well especially – well, Eric Edwards is saying that the crowd was good and loud and important spots. The students stayed late because they offered game-worn jerseys to students? Giveaway? Really? Really? Oh, that's I, news to me. Yeah, that's news <laughs> to me, too. I don't know if I had buy I mean, Otherwise, Drew, where was that when we were students? I was about to say, I know Drew feels gypped. <laughs> oh, understatement. Can we give that to so, the media? Yeah, can, uh, can I have one just to add to the collection since I have so many to begin with? Don't you have enough of a fire hazard in your closet with oh, that? You shut your mouth. Oh. You shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> All right. This is like what's this is like in the group chat? Um, was Quadric Buller didn't play? Was uh, he addressed in the media post game as far as what happened with Quadric? Uh, he was not. But it's interesting. I think there's an element of what he said on Monday at the press conference, and and I mentioned it a little bit in the in the uh, uh, presser preview leading up to this game. Um, the the fact that um, th th that SMU dominated the way they did last year was apparently a big deal to the players. And Coach mentioned it in passing. You know, they, they put up a lot of points on us last time. 
and it was nice to come back to it. And, and, but, I, I, you know, something I'm going to be looking to on, on, on Monday when we talk to Coach Malzahn again, I'm going to ask how much he thinks that familiarity w- with Lashley was helpful in preparation and, and how big a deal it was in the game. And I'm not sure if he's looking to j- jump on, but I got, I got Bryson here standing next to me. Um, I don't know if he couldn't find a good perch or whether that, you know, the space you uh, mirror behind me is too cool to pass up. But, you know, at some point, hopefully he'll get over being shy and maybe step into the frame. Let's see what he does here. Hi. Yeah. Hi. The camera's too tall. The camera's too tall. Let's see, you know, this is the practical issues we deal with here in the field, ladies and gentlemen. I, there you go. Let me, I, I mean, let me worse. It could always be worse. You can have the sprinklers will turn on on you. Yeah, that's true. Um, we well, don't want sprinklers. This is why this is why we don't do walk and talks, nor do we uh, do this on the field, gentlemen. That's right. I, let me. Well, right, we so learned from that mistake. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, Kyle. A couple things, because we'll keep it short. Because help, we all we all have regular jobs we got to get to uh, in the morning, and it's coming quick. <laughs> How do you feel about this team now after tonight? Five games. Are you op- more optimistic? What you're seeing? Are you still got questions moving forward? Can this team put it together for four quarters? Is this the beginning of something? What? Where, where do we? How do you feel now as you leave the stadium? You know, and that's a great question, Eric. What makes this tough is is we've seen a lot of the worst case scenario aspects, and and I think we've seen so much of that that people kind of started to accept that as fact, right? I can make an argument, though, as we have on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, that the SMU defense, the question of whether they're better than, let's say, the Louisville defense, is out there. The question of this being a tougher or toughest defense in the conference is one none of us truly agree with. I think all of us think that even though they're rebuilding compared to where they were, I think Cincinnati's defense, for example, is going to be better than this one. I think that'll be a different game, and certainly we'll talk more about that leading into it. But gentlemen, um, and remind me, I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but after Temple next week, who is the next opponent for UCF? At Cincinnati, I believe. I mean, I'm sorry, East, East, Carolina, okay. East, East, East Carolina. At East Carolina. At East Carolina. So one could argue that I'm not saying that East Carolina is good, and I know they have Eric's favorite American Athletic Conference quarterback, Colton Ayler's there waiting for them. But <laughs> thank you for that face, Eric. That was worth it. Um, but I think it's a situation where I'm not going to call Temple a trap game, but ECU going into ECU going into Cincinnati is. I agree. No, I'm gonna, and one of the things I'm going to look for. When the kickoff, I believe the kickoff for that game should be announced on Monday. If that game's at night at the Boneyard in Greenville, that's a whole different complexion than, say, a noon game in Greenville, having been up there. So I I actually don't disagree with you on that. I'm very curious to see what time is that kickoff at East Carolina. Because if that's a night game, that could be a really tricky game in that scenario because that atmosphere will be crazy. Uh, in that matchup, Temple's a bye week. I'm not even going to reference them. I mean, they, they should be. <laughs> I mean, they should be grateful to even still have a football program. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, John Rice Plumley, thumbs up. Encouraged after the second half. I thought the slants were working really well, Kyle. I thought Gus did a, played a nice game, a simple game. And it's funny how you know people talk about play calling and all that. When you execute simple stuff, it opens up a lot. Hey, and listen, you heard me criticize those saying that playing play calling was the biggest problem. And I think we've seen why I've said that, right? 
when it comes to and, and coach would even admit that there were some plays in Georgia Tech and, and other games that he wished he did have back. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's perfection. But what I will say is when you have execution like this, of course, things can only look better. And in my mind, I don't want to say that I was a, a, a John Rice Plumley apologist or anything like that, but I was pointing out other aspects that made it a challenge. Gentlemen, I think it's hard to argue that two things occurred tonight. A, UCF's best offensive drive of the year was coming out of that uh, first half and delivering both on the ground and in the air quickly to get that touchdown to go back up on the points. And I believe in that same drive, and you could argue which throw it was, John Rice Plumley, regardless of what throw you and I may nitpick over which one it is, Drew, but he had his best throw of the year in this game at some point. I think that's hard to debate. Oh, it's, it's impossible to debate. The, the real debate is which one was it? I, I think it was exactly uh, one in the first half where he threaded the needle again, uh, leading towards the first touchdown. Um, but also that, that was a nice one. I, I mean, that. That was if that guy turned around, he may have actually had a play on it. But you know that that's why you, you know why we play the game. Uh, but that that big play yeah. to, to Baker in the second half, man, that, in that third quarter that opened up the the lead. Uh, that one was you know a game a momentum changer. You know one was a great pass, one was a, the other was a momentum changer and really redefined the game. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the 50 51 yarder. I think. Not to take away from the delivery because the delivery made that 51-yarder happen. And to watch Javon shake and bake, you know, because his name's Baker. Okay, I'm reaching on that one. But wow. still, I feel like the 29-yarder. Master of the you see, you, see, you see what I did there? No. Hater's going to hate, Drew. No, <sighs> but I think it was the 29-yarder that he hit. Um, um, I think that was to Hudson, actually. Might have been the sharpest pass of the game to me. Um, but again, to your point, buddy. The biggest debate isn't if, but which. And I'm with you on that. And, and listen, not for nothing. That's a good problem. GBs though. were challenged more. Correct. Oh, and uh, yeah. Uh, but but to, to change gears on one thing too, defensively, the front, I love how we're not talking about the defensive front anymore and how young they are and how this, that, and the other thing was. They got a damn safety. Can we stop talking? Heck, Eric's even done griping about Traymond Moore's rash controlling the ball because he put points on the board this game and then now it doesn't matter anymore. But, but what I'm going to say is this. The DBs were challenged in this game like no other, and it's absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Fantastic yeah, work yeah. for them yeah, yeah. Uh, on that performance. I got to bring this up real quick, Eric. I, I don't know okay. who sent out the tweet, but Bryson, Bryson who was it that did the tweet? Uh, uh, Eddie Sefko. Eddie Sefko. Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, Eddie Sefko, uh, Dallas Mavericks. Okay, so with that in mind, he says that on Twitter that UCF is it to fit in the Big 12 the defense is too good. Drew, you've heard how I've talked trash on Big 12 defense. I am hardly in a position to disagree. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's for, you know, defenses <laughs> need not apply in the Big 12. I mean, that, that, that's been a staple for, for generations <laughs> when, you know, when dinosaurs ruled and roamed the earth. You know, defenses are not allowed. It's like the new defense club. Well, hey, so being the know. student of the game, I'm going to give you guys a pop quiz real quick, right? And you guys are better with history than I, so I know you'll know the answer. But is it too soon to say that at least the possibility of this defense being as good as the 2017 defense is on the table? Like, we've gotten that well, game. We've gotten that performance. We can start thinking about that, right? Well, statistically, the 2017 team uh, defense was only fair at best. Uh, if you actually want to go to 
really good, you got to go to 2014, where statistically they were, I believe, ninth in the country. In I'm not yeah, I'm not taking it there yet. I, I, I know that's another bridge to climb, but can we at least get that first uh, marker? And yeah, to your point, they gave up a lot of big yards and a lot of big plays, but I feel like um, this group uh, going into this game, they were excellent uh, nation leading in stops in the red zone. I know that was a little bit blown up, and they're going to leave this game still pretty tough. They're going to leave this game being among the, the top 20, at least in the nation, and third down conversions prevented defensively. Like, that's... That's powerful stuff, gentlemen. And it may not necessarily be as pretty as, as low numbers in yards allowed, but that's the kind of ish that wins games. Here, here's the here's the problem with comparing to the 2017 team, and it's it's not a dig on you on this one, but because of the way their schedule sure. played out, uh, they got run into the ground as the season wore on. I mean, Eric and I talked to Trey Neal during the uh, during our, our watch along. We talked about this where the, the team base basically got run to the ground. And they're giving up more and more points. I mean, if you just watch, it was getting worse and worse. And then you had the reset where they got to rest before the bowl game. Uh, so, I mean, it's a little bit skewed, uh, the, the 17 team, uh, against, you know, how good they really are, you know, really are. But from from a uh, from a full unit standpoint, I mean, this team is just absolutely phenomenal. And I think if you took the coaching staff of the current team and you put it with the talent – of the 17 team, you're going to have the ultimate defense. Uh, no mistake about it. This team is way better coached than, uh, than Chenander's uh, crew. Uh, and I think that makes a, a material difference. May I use the word endorsement of one uh, Travis Williams, AKA T will. Oh, absolutely. I, I think he's fantastic. He's a future. Could he, could he be the, let me ask you this. Could, is he the best defensive coordinator UCF's had since, uh, Gene Chizik. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, John Skladani had some really good good defenses during his time, but I mean, no one has the flash and and charisma that T. Will has. Not even close. <laughs> and yet, we've seen that in person after the Gasparilla Bowl. Drew, I know what you're referring to there, without question. <laughs> That's true. I think we just wasted a lot of good art. We got some article ideas out of this. I have a feeling we got some columns you guys could write about this. If, if this defense continues in this track the rest of the year, I'm just saying there could be some content there for both of you there to work on. I mean, Stat Boy Drew is a talent as a UCF historian. See, there's moments like these. I wish I had these uh, the, my glasses on. Yeah, there's there's a, a, a tweet here from Steve Helwick. Uh, the Boise State comeback was incredible, but I think this is Gus Malzahn's biggest regular season win at UCF. Feels like it's been a while since the Knights straight up decimated a quality opponent like this. Um, if if, if that's the thought, to be determined. I mean, I think that's to be determined. I, I think I think the big key is this is a conference game, which makes it more valuable. Sure. sure. Correct. I, to be determined, I think is a little too safe. I think we can do say this, uh, Eric, at this point, and tell me if you disagree. To date, that is accurate. I mean, this is a big one for him, for sure. I mean, it's hard to compare. I mean, we'll see where SMU goes from here. I mean, they've got, you know, players that might leave, may not. Sure. Who knows? I think Brett Lashley clearly has a lot to learn as a head coach. He got taken to school. All right? Now, you talk about student of the game. I think Gus took him to school in the second half in particular. I think that the master hey, taught the he, student, you know. He was doing him a favor. Yeah, yeah. But hey, all positive. How's that, Drew? 
Wait, I want to hear that. Who is doing uh, what a favor? I, I'm uh, curious. No, I'm not arguing. I, I'm, I'm uh, curious Gus, how, what you Gus mean. Did Rhett a favor. You know, he's in his first year. You know, you don't want to develop bad habits. Um, have the student. Oh, have, okay. Yeah, have, have the teacher, you know, slap the student in the face on this one and say, you know, know your I believe role. the term you're looking for is, uh, the term you're looking for is tough love. Yes, Drew? Uh, you can call it tough love. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so that, now I understand what you mean. But, but he, did, he did, you know, you know school's in session, and, you know, Rhett is still learning the craft. Um, you know, he always he was a coordinator, so he only had to focus on certain things. Now he's focusing on a much bigger picture. And you know what? What better way than than to, to learn, you know, from, you know, the guy who, who raised him in football? And, and you would not find you, – you can't arguably, you know, say that anyone else is a bigger protege of Gus Malzahn than Rhett Lashley. Mm -hmm. He's in the book, for goodness sake. Yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff pointed that out in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Bing! Uh, well, and let me ask you this, Eric. You don't get on, paid for the uh, number of times you mention that. It's a thing. <laughs> Hush your butt. I'm maybe it's called being a team play player. Maybe you should try, troll. No. Um, hey, hey, remember, there's no white team. But there's certainly a me. Yeah. Well, and you in the comfort of your home. Well, no, I'm kidding, man. Um, no, but listen. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask, Eric, is is I thought of you when Lashley went for it on fourth down inside field goal range, still within 10 at this point. I see it shaking of the head now. Uh, so I, I'll pose the question this way. Over or under number of objects thrown at the TV by Elo? I wouldn't say it was <laughs> objects. It was kind of more like shaking my head. It's like, oh, man. Like, what are we doing, man? Thanks, I guess. Appreciate it's it. Yeah, it's one of those where, like, guys guys that don't normally speak up a lot in the press box, I even heard the random comment of, of you you could have been within the score out there somewhere right? from behind me there well, it was for some, some of the big-name guys, you know. Yeah, it was some baffling, just, like, going for it in his own territory. Like, it was just some weird stuff he was doing. I don't think the book says now is, says now is the time. It's like going for two-point conversions too early. It's going to bite you later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way, man. Like if, if I hear later that Lashley becomes one of the long list of coaches to blame analytics, I think I might start throwing something, but I'll leave that at that. That's more a topic I bring up on the student of the game podcast, but I digress. Well, I, I will look for the post game presser. Cause I, I'm, uh, and I'll let you know what he says. And if, uh, if he brings up analytics, I'll send you the link and you can. Yeah, Cause uh, remember Eric does not oh, sleep. Boy. He is not more a machine than man. He's like Darth Vader. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's it's takes its toll there. Um, but you guys do need to sleep, Kyle. <laughs> tell, tell the audience where you uh, what you're working on here as we're going to wrap this up because uh, well, you guys have regular lives. I don't. So what 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 do you got working on? Apparently the the router's going to sleep. There we go. Yeah, no. Yeah. Apparently the router's going to sleep. Listen, what I'll be working on next is is I already said I I, I want to know on Monday once Coach Malzahn's had time to review the film and all that how much he feels like Lashley's familiarity has to do with things. Um, I want to hear about how surprised he was to see Tanner Mordecai start because I know we were all floored when he took the field, and um, <laughs> I had to get one more in, guys. Okay. Um, and uh, listen, with I all that like in mind, I, I, I'm really worried. That material's distinct now as of this week. That's instinct. 
as of this minute, Eric Lopez. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> no, um, but it, well, actually, there's only one other way, and that's if this is a conference championship rematch at the end of the year. Then see, then by that point, it's 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 a throwback, so it's it's cool again. You know how that works. No, man, but um, you know, Retro. for me, I, I'm going to be uh, exactly. I'm going to be asking you know Coach Malzahn about that and 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 what extra stuff he felt like on film went better this time than any of the other previous games because he said it multiple times this is our best game so far very good all right that's kyle nash from the stadium we're gonna let you go because obviously the internet router is disagreeing with us so uh appreciate you uh coming on as always we'll uh we'll talk this week and uh, get set for temple that big big time matchup with temple drew will get to reunite drew will be back with you oh there you go he left on his own see that i knew that was coming uh Drew, last thoughts here. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Like, apologies to some that maybe didn't get a we couldn't get a hold of Mike. Uh, we'll get you on in a future show. Right now, just our technical issue stuff. Kind of uh, we played this close to the vest a little bit. We'll just leave it as that. So, uh, Drew, what's your final thoughts? Uh, enjoyed the second half. This is a tale of two halves. Uh, you know, first half where you know things didn't go right, but this is where a good veteran coaching staff that has. Uh, synergy and trust in each other come into play and you get a very different result in the second half. In fact, the results were so different. UCF had more yards in the third quarter than the entire first half. And UCF's not a third quarter team. Usually it's the opposite where they're slow to adjust. Uh, not this time. Uh, they, they were very aggressive. Uh, I like this, this edgier defense that they were playing uh, past defense really really aggressively and i liked it uh, you know what take a couple pass interference calls get in their head uh, th this is going to play a big role in the future you know when you're going up against a, a michael pratt from from tulane who, who can throw the ball uh you know you want to be able to 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 have that that defense ready to go i mean all three aspects of the game by the second half were clicking. They they made very good stops. They they made plays when they needed to. Uh, special teams was outstanding. There were really no mistakes on special teams. I mean, it was it was about as close to flawless as you possibly can get. And uh, you know, just don't get complacent. You know, as as a fan, you know, there's still work to be done. Uh, there's still another game they they need. The team needs you as a fan doing this stuff. Um, the analysts, the coaches, all of them, uh, they can't be satisfied with this. There are still areas that need work. The offensive line still needs work. I'm not satisfied. Uh, so, you know, we're, we'll do it again next time. And that'll be Temple a week from this Thursday night. We'll have another edition of Night Shift. Drew will be with Kyle at the football game. Uh, we'll have coverage. Hopefully our internet will be a little better. More my end, I think. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, check out blackandgobanneret.com for a full recap of this UCF win. Drew's going to have his knee-jerk reactions column up before you know it. Uh, depending on when you listen to it, it might be up already. Depends when you listen. It's not up yet. <laughs> not up yet, but uh, that's always a must-read there. And uh, we'll have much more coverage. We'll be a podcast next week. We'll have a YouTube channel with post-game press conference audio from Gus Malzahn and the winning players. UCF wins 41-19. to Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, we'll get you uh, more questions. Always keep them coming for next week. Uh, we'll do this every week after each game uh, from various locations. Uh, for Andrew Glukoff, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Night Shift as the Knights. Victorious over the SMU Mustangs, 41-19. to 19. Good night.
and charge on.